Last night, as I was rocking my baby to sleep, I had these pings of guilt for not getting this episode published on time. And the longer it took to feed him, to change his diaper, to endlessly rock him, I found myself mentally urging him to close his eyes and sleep so I might be able to sneak downstairs to cram this podcast into being. Then this tiny, chubby little baby hand reached up and grabbed my chin. And it caught me by surprise. But then I looked into his eyes and he smiled. It stopped me in my tracks. And suddenly my mind was blown that this little dude is nearly six months old. That's the age where things start to change drastically from newborn to a bigger, more capable baby. And as he squeezed my chin, he gave a little squeak. He slapped me on the cheek and he smiled again. And then he buried his face into my armpit. And when he wiggled in my arm, he used both hands this time to more gently touch my face with untrained fingers, poking, prodding, exploring. Now I know what you're thinking. This is supposed to be fondling cardboard, about trading cards, not baby fondling dad's face. But this moment with my son made me think about why I'm doing this hobby and this podcast. I'm late with this episode. I'm feeling stressed. I've missed out on a special special moments with my boys because of going through these emotions. So why am I doing it? As an escape? Do I really need to escape my beautiful life? No. I, I realized as baby Elwood grabbed at my face, wondering what would happen with each of his movements, learning about his world and the people he looked up to, that I'm doing that exact same thing with sports cards. I'm yearning to learn, explore, grow up as a person. And I'm reaching out to the world around me that I feel most connected to and the most that I have the most passion for. And I'm trying to make sense of things and enjoy the process. And I have this podcast as a creative outlet for that. I'm reaching up to imperfect role models like Steve Nash and Tiger Woods, wondering what makes them the way they are and seeking ways of getting to know them more through a medium that that I love. So although this hobby, and heck, even this podcast, can get in the way of life and clutter up my mind sometimes, it's my way to find connection to those I admire and fondle through some cardboard, one card at a time. I'm your host, Mike Lacusta, a.k.a. The Golf Card Collector. Today, we're going to be getting into what we look for in cards and why do we collect them. Specifically, why would you collect a no-name brand like Superglow? And how do those cards stack up to the golf card hobby darling upper deck? And we will use our main man, Will Zalatoris, that we talked about last week, as our subject to explore these questions. But first, I just got to make an update to something I said in last episode about Daniel Berger, and then we'll do some quick golf world updates, and then we'll dive into Superglow. So I mentioned Daniel Berger and buying a few of his PSA 10 cards as a failed investment, and you all know I'm not much of a sports card investor, so I shouldn't have been dabbling and messing around with that in the first place, Um, But one of the listeners, uh, shout out to Skeeter Robinson on Instagram for pointing that out. So Daniel Berger is on a medical exemption and he will get to play when he comes back. He'll, um, I guess, resume where he was, whatever status he had on his PGA card. And yeah, he'll have whatever time is remaining on that card to reprove himself and re-earn his spot. But he has still fallen down the world rankings list because he hasn't been able to play and who knows he may be very rusty when he finally does make his return but i'm definitely a little more pumped up to find out when daniel Berger's healthy again and back in action also another correction i need to make from a previous episode uh is a friend of mine a dear friend of the show uh, has a podcast called leave the pin and i called it pull the pin and I think he made it a joke. His his podcast isn't a grenade. On the flip side, I still pull the pin 
So I think that's what I had in my mind is, you know, the, the old school way of putting. You pull the pin and you let that ball drop nicely into the hole. Now, in terms of golf action around the world, there is a ton going on. Normally, the fall and the winter is a really quiet time for the PGA Tour and just the golf world in general. It's a time where all the golf analysts and, and the golfers take breaks, and it's really the guys who are up and coming, trying to uh, re-earn their tour cards, that are grinding through the tournaments. And so you don't necessarily see a lot of news from the big names. But this year and this winter are totally upside down. This is probably the most dramatic time in golf history. I don't know if you guys have seen uh, Full Swing, the Netflix documentary. When that came out, uh, I think it was earlier this year, uh, January or February of 2023, it was perfect timing because it hit right as Liv and the PGA were battling it out. And all this drama with Phil Mickelson and, and others um, was playing live. And when it came out, I said, this has got to be the best year and the most dramatic year to, to release a Netflix special, a Netflix series on golf. And sure enough, that was correct. Now, what is also correct is that next season of Full Swing is going to be even more dramatic and even better. Now, for the game of golf and for pro golf and for fans, it might not necessarily be a good thing. I'm not a hater for the PGA Tour or Live. I enjoy them both. I collect players from both sides and I consume media from both leagues. However, it's going to be a, a drawback for fans by splitting the talent and not having a single league for everybody to come together. So I want to talk more about this. There's a ton uh, to talk about. John Rahm went over to live. Um, my man, Matthew Wolf was traded. So uh, he's now over with the Range Goats, and I couldn't be happier because that's Bubba Watson's team. And Bubba Watson, for those of you who don't know, struggled with his mental health issues, and he talked openly about that uh, years ago. Um, heck, it might have even been a decade ago by now. And the new era has ushered in guys grinding mentally strong, but uh, Matthew Wolf is taking a page out of Bubba Watson's book and, and just being honest and had to take time, you know, to, to mentally get right. So um, I'm super pumped that he ended up under Matt Bubba Watson's wings. Uh, I think it'll be a great place for him to thrive. Um, and I'm going to be following Range Goats on the Live Tour. The other crazy thing is that Bubba Watson collects sports cards. I was scrolling through his Instagram when Matthew was traded to his team, and then later that same evening, he posted a grading submission that he got back from PSA. That is insane. Uh, I think he had a couple of Travis Kelsey rookie cards, uh, Randy Moss, Bowman's Best, Jimmy Graham Bowman Chrome, Gold Refractor, and uh, Jalen Waddle Refractor. And he had this weird uh, uh, set of, of older cards uh, that were the A-team. So he also collects non-sports. So that's, that's some sports cards nonsense. And it's cool to see uh, a collector like him uh, showing an interest in football cards because I always wondered how professional athletes admire other sports. Now, I would be remiss to not talk about the PNC Championship that's going on this weekend. Of course, Tiger Woods uh, has made his return and he's playing with his son, Charlie. And, you know, as great as it is to see Tiger swing in the club uh, and, and hitting some good shots, it's it's better to see Charlie and, and see him thriving. So I can't wait uh, for someday for there to be a Charlie Woods card. Uh, of course, that'll be expensive, just like LeBron James and his son, Bronny. Uh, have a dual autograph card and Bronny's going to start getting some some university uh, cards coming out um, and they're inflated so what we'll see I may not end up getting to pick one up right away when they release but you know how the story goes when new products come out you got to wait a year or two to pick up the cards you like so I've just scratched the surface on everything that's going on in the world of golf, but this is a card podcast, not a sports podcast per se. So I'm going to stop there and I do look forward to recording an entire episode, breaking down what's going on between the PGA and Liv and some of that drama and try to, to bring some context around um, cards relating to the, the drama. So stay tuned for that. 
All right, let's finally get into the topic of the day, which is Super Glow Golf Carts. So we'll kick off by talking a bit about them as a manufacturer. They make unlicensed sports cards and non-sports cards, sort of like Leaf. And it might be fine for sports like golf, where teams and logos aren't involved, um, but there is a bit of a stigma against companies like that, where team collectors want to have that team association, that logo. They seemingly sprouted up out of nowhere in the 2021 height of the pandemic sports card bubble, and collectors are were all over their golf cards, particularly since they focused on players that didn't have cards from other competitors, such as Upper Deck or Leaf. Plus, the cards looked really sweet. Superglow has copied all sorts of popular styles and features for the past 20 to 30 years of modern shiny cards. Uh, some examples are the plain rainbow refractor, cracked ice, or atomic crystals. Different companies have different names for that style. Um, comic book character imagery, uh, colored pulsar, ref- uh, superfractor, circles, uh, tie-dye, um, as well as typical chase cards like patch cards, autographs, uh, patch autos, serial numbered versions of base cards and inserts, one of ones, etc. And the only thing that really stood out, aside from some design flaws, uh, is that they use sticker autos, which takes away from the cards in my opinion. Oh, and the patch autos have an awkward design where the autograph overlaps with the player's name printed on the cardstock, and it's done in a way that it doesn't look intentional. Like the, the, the name of the person is actually printed on the card, and they put the sticker with the autograph over top of the name so that it's kind of hard to read either one. Maybe they were planning for smaller autographs to fit into, like, the little space above their name? Or maybe they just originally planned for those cards to be patch cards, and then they decided last minute to turn them into patch autos. Or maybe they were just trying to do something artistic, with having the autograph impose itself over the name, but if that's the case, the aesthetic was not a success. But setting that aside, the cards overall look quite nice. I haven't held one in hand, but from photos I've seen on eBay and social media posts, they look like a a great compilation of everything that collectors ask for from major manufacturers year over year, even if they are a little awkward around the edges. Their special rookie design is unique, as they go for more of a pre-rookie card approach by designating uh, the player's inaugural card as first ever and an even more prestigious first printed. And they continued to use that design, for example, for Will Zalatoris, for both his 2021 and his 2022 cards. So I don't know for sure how much weight that designation actually carries in the brand. I guess Upper Deck printed Justin Thomas cards in 2016 and then designated his golf-specific cards from 2021 as his rookie cards. And even though the sets were released in 2021 and 2022, so technically that's six years of Justin Thomas rookies. (laughs) I make it sound way worse than it is, and I know Panini and Topps do the same kind of thing with, with their delayed sets. In 2021, when Super Glow cards first came, collectors didn't know what to expect when they came out. But they, the cards looked awesome, and the market was at this all-time high. People were thirsty for cards. Everybody was trapped in their homes during the pandemic, looking for something to spend their money on and something to spend their times on. And the cards just seemed great. They seemed very short-printed. They seemed rare. And for those who are not ingrained in the hobby and those without much experience, they were very attractive compared to um, other companies whose prices were typically higher or as a card that you couldn't find a player for they seemed very short printed and rare but after some time we realized that they've been printing tons of one of ones in different colors stylings and there isn't a checklist that i've come across anyways so we don't know exactly what's out there and collectors are still getting to know super glow as a manufacturer i almost think of them as like a custom card manufacturer. Now, by no means are they a custom card manufacturer. They're not one of those companies that will cut up a card and assemble it into some unique uh, one-of-one. Um, they're, they're not 
taking orders. You can't send them your design and they'll print it for you. Um, but when I say they're like a custom card, I mean that they they borrow techniques that have been successful and they use it in an unlicensed way and it just is a little fringy and so if you care about value if you care about um, when, when I say value I mean the uh, long-term price of a card and, and reliability that if you buy it it will maintain its value um, it's maybe not the best bet but if it's something that you want to collect for that player or you love the design and you find one that seems like a reasonable price by all means go for it you know here's how i'll put it if you have some some change pocket change and for some of you that means pocket bills that means you know tens and hundreds of dollars of disposable income that you it does not matter if you you throw it down the drain then yeah you could look at super glow as a, a way to get players that you don't have access to otherwise. Now, I tried to contact a representative from Superglow in preparation for this podcast, but nobody replied. And it was kind of weird. They had a Gmail address listed on their website. Um, I don't have it written down here. I think it was like superglowcards at gmail.com or something like that. And it's it's fine, you know, for, that'd be fine for like a content creator or, or a hobby maverick. But I found it a bit unprofessional. For a card manufacturer to have a gmail address but i was doing all that research about two weeks ago for this episode and then when i tried to check out their website again within the last four or five days it had a blank screen and it said this store is unavailable so damn that that really changed the tone of how i wanted to approach this episode um i plan to go through data trends of super little cards comparing key players that I like anyways, Will Zalatoris, Victor Hovland, and comparing them to their upper deck cards. So Will Zalatoris does have upper deck cards. Um, and then maybe even looking at like Victor Hovland's cards and how the demand for those cards changed when it was announced that he would be in upper deck products in 2024. So this, this is kind of the vision I had, but you know, almost, almost verging like on a product data review. But now I want to get to the bottom of what's happening to Superglow. I even tried to access their website incognito mode from another computer to see if they're blocking me, but the website seems to be totally down from just a week ago. So I asked uh, in the Golf Cards and Memorabilia Facebook group and on Instagram, and I discovered, thanks to Kirsten Everett, that they've been rebranded to Super Breaks. So it looks like you can still buy their Super Glow products on their website, but they've completely changed. It's not superglowcards.com anymore. It's super breaks or something like that. Um, and, and similarly as their previous website, they have very limited information about the products that they've released in the past, meaning they have none. And it's 100% focused on selling their latest products with a, 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 a huge focus on attracting dealers to represent and sell their products it doesn't seem like a good sign for their long-term success if their whole website is like almost like an advertisement for what's what's coming up instead of as a a database about the company and about their cards now when i scan through their instagram which is super break boxes it is not giving me an impression of a large legitimate company it really seems like they have these ad hoc posts with you know a few kind of similarly branded marketing posts mixed in with like a few single cards mixed in with like a few uh, shots of them breaking and uh, you know looks like a guy who might be an owner of the company talking about something in a real like it's just kind of this mishmash of stuff which is fine but it just doesn't have this consistent brand of you know this is who we are this is what we're about uh it definitely isn't convincing to me that that they're a big brand and i mean you can look at it by their followers they have less than 2200 followers they're not selling me on any kind of consistent place in the hobby now, when I check out their store and their posts on Instagram, it does seem like you can purchase sealed products in the form of a box 
uh, for your own personal ripping. But it also looks like they host breaks where they break their own products. With the hot topic of people doing repacks these days, I almost get that impression when I when I look through the Super Glow or Super Box breaks um, websites and their their social media because it it just looks like they're trying to find as many outlets as they can. So if anybody from Super Glow is listening to this, hit me up. I tried to reach out to you. I didn't hear a response. You can reach me at the Golf Card Collector on Instagram or Mike Lacusta on the Golf Cards and Memorabilia Facebook group. Let's get into the actual trends of their cards, the demand for them, and the desirability of them. So using Will Zalatoris as a test subject, I spent a couple hours compiling data from several sources such as eBay sold listings, 130point.com, maven.io, basically all the free sources because I don't use the ones that charge fees like TerraPeak, uh, Card Ladder, Market Movers. So basically I recorded a description of the card. I was only looking at their one-of-ones because, as I mentioned earlier, they produce a ton of one-of-one cards, which is kind of sketchy, you know, on its own. Like, if I get a one-of-one, I assume that it's pretty rare. But if there's 100 Will Zalatoris one-of-ones out there, then it just washes out the value of that being a rare card because then it's sort of like a Will Zalatoris out of 100. However, they do all have different images or stylings or colors or shininess or whatever the data that i was compiling is description of the card they're all one of ones whether it's an autograph or a non-autograph and the sold date and also a special shout out to skeeter robinson and chad williams for sending me lists of their own purchase prices and all sorts of good commentary so anyways thank you to you guys for helping with the data so i plotted the data and they're just straight up aren't any trends that make sense. For example, for non-autos, one of one, Will Zalatoris cards, they range from under $10 to about $90, which is a pretty big range, like 9x. You know, some of you may not consider $100 to be an expensive card, but if you can go from $100 to $90 for the you know similar card, it just doesn't make sense. There were three sales around the $90 mark and 12 sales from $6.72 up to $46. And when I'm talking money here, it's not that I care about buying it and trying to sell it at a higher price because that's not really a game I'm into. But when I look at the price that a card sells for, it tells me the demand for that card. It tells me that there's somebody out there that wants it. And therefore, you can look at that card as desirable, collectible, something that people enjoy. At the end of the day, collect cards that you want, that you enjoy, but it's still important to know what others in the hobby like. Um, You'll end up having friends if you stick around long enough. And, you know, you want to get cards that are interesting to talk about. You want to get cards that are interesting to share on your social medias and that generate conversation and that when you pull them out of your your binder and and you get the warm fuzzies looking at it, you you can show it to someone else and they get warm fuzzies. I'll never forget, I bought a Steve Nash card and honestly, it didn't look that cool. It looked okay, but it was not great for the amount of money I was spending on it. I was really just buying it because I considered it to be a card I should have. It, it almost seemed non-authentic. It was like, hey, check out this card because, you know, I need someone to validate my purchase. I need I need a reason to buy it. Somebody give me some social credibility here. So then after a few months, I look at it. I'm like, why did I buy this? So I, I sold it. Heading back to Superglow and Will Zalatoris, If I were to hone in over the past year and we ignore those three sales that were around $90 because who knows what they could be. They could be shill bid. They could be extremely unique cards compared to the others because some stylings are more desirable. Like if it has a super fractor style, I imagine that would sell for a lot more money than some aqua cracked ice card that you know, if you just look at the front of it, you can't even tell that it looks rare or it looks like a one of one. And then the back, there's just a one slash one printed on it. So there could be reasons for these discrepancies in pricing of one of one. It just doesn't seem right to have a range from, you know, 60 or $6 to $90. So if we look in the last year 
and ignoring those three sales above or around $90, the only trend that I could observe from the data, which was a steady decrease at a consistent rate from about $50 a year ago to around $10 within the last month. And, and again, ignoring one of those sales from around $90, there haven't been any sales of Will Zalatoris one of one card above $25 in the last six months. So although it looked like a shotgun at the side of a barn kind of scatter plot on my graph, if you start to kind of slice some of the narrative out of this graph, there is this trend that I can sort of paint that in the last year, there's been a consistent decline in the value of a Will Zalatoris one-of-one non-autographed card. Now, here's the thing. As I said, they aren't all identical one-of-ones. They're all different colors. They're all different shapes and sizes and colors and designs and aesthetics. And I really do liken these to custom cards. And so after spending you know a few hours trying to wrap my head around this, I realized there's no point. There's no point in me doing this same exercise for the autograph cards, for the patch autograph cards or the RPAs or whatever you want to call them, because they really are like custom cards. If you like the way it looks and the price seems right, go for it. You know, look at past comps, look, look at what you think the market values the card at. If you can get it um, at or below and you really want it, go after it. And I would say at least half of these one-of-one one Will Zalatoris cards look ridiculous. I, I wouldn't want them. And so maybe that explains one selling for $6 and others selling for $50. And maybe that explains why some have sold for $90. All right, all right. I will throw out some commentary about the autograph one-of-ones because, of course, people like collecting autographs. And I know you'll want to know a little bit about what I found. So the autograph one-of-ones didn't have as much variance I would say that the lowest that they sold for was, oh, what was it, like $50? And the the kind of average sale price seemed to be about $100. There were some selling for $140, $130, $120. So, you know, when I look at the last year and a half or so, I would say the range is between like $50 to $140. And when you look at that range, it, it does look like a wide range. In fact, you know, that's exactly $90. So that's a bigger range than $6 to $90, which is only 84. However, like if you look at the, the multiplier, you know, 50 to 140 is less than 3x. It's what, like 2.8x. So the, the discrepancy in prices does make a bit more sense, especially when you start considering that these cards could look vastly different from each other. And also, I had a note on one of the data lines uh, that sold for $300 that it was identified as a prototype, and on the back it said first printed. So that one selling for $300, which is, seems like an outlier, could make sense if it's a much more rare card than the others. There was also one that sold about a year ago for $230. Um, and that's the only one that really also fell outside of the range. I don't have a good reason for that one. Super Glow one of one green glow autograph. It didn't honestly look like anything special compared to any of the others. So you never know. I don't have on here whether it was an auction or buy it now. I really should try and capture that because that's important. It was probably just a buy it now. Maybe it was during the playoffs when he won the FedEx St. Jude. Maybe somebody just smashed buy it now the moment he won the event because they thought, oh, his cards are going to the moon. So... Now, when I compare these prices that I've just been sharing to Upper Deck, for example, uh, there aren't a lot of Will Zalatoris one-of-ones through Upper Deck. I've only ever come across two. I know that there are at least two or three, I would guess three from Upper Deck Goodwin Champions, and those would be the Platinum Golden Treasures, which is like Upper Deck's version of a Superfractor for the splash of color for the gaudi and for the base then in metal universe champions he would have one of ones for the metal shredders for his base pmg which would both of those would be purple he might also have one for like rubies so he i would guess there's maybe three more for metal universe champions and then i i think those are the only upper deck cards that have come out for will zalatoris 
once 2024 um, Upper Deck Golf and 2024 SP Game Used Golf come out. I'm sure he'll have two or three one-of-ones from each of those sets as well. So even if you want to include those, you're looking at a dozen total one-of-ones. So they are much more rare. They're from a much bigger brand and they are you know, much more accepted by the hobby. They, they're they consistent with cards that you might collect of other players. And it's always nice when you can ha- kind of have these subsets. You know, I like pairings, for example. If I buy a Tiger Woods Cosmic out of 99, I want the Will Zalatoris Cosmic out of 99 because it's cool for me as a collector to have these this this, this consistency, almost like this identity in, in as a collector that I like to be the cosmic guy and so I want a cosmic out of each player I like and if you're a high roller you might want that one of one of each player you like and if you collect basketball and you happen to like golf and Zalatoris is your guy then you know you might have uh Michael Jordan precious metal gems or, or more likely you know a Steve Nash precious metal gems for instance and if you could get a Will Zalatoris Precious Metal Gems, then you've got consistency in your collection, even though you've got a variety in the sports that you collect. And you can go after players that you personally like. So all of that is to say, there was one sale of a Will Zalatoris 1 of 1, and it was a Precious Metal Gems. Purple, uh, I believe it was the Metal Shredders version, um, which would be selling a little bit less than a you know base pmg because it's considered an insert and i have the canadian sale price it was 471 dollars canadian so yeah 331 dollars us so comparing that sale to the typical sale price of a wills alatoris one of one from super glow which is 50 dollars for an autographed card minimum or six dollars for a non-autographed one of one um up to you know 100 or whatever there's a couple outliers at two three hundred dollars it's just it's obvious that the upper deck cards are going to carry way more desirability oh actually i forgot there's one other one of one that i'm aware of and a friend of mine uh james peacock shout out to you man um james spends a lot of time on upper deck epac which is uh it's like a, a it's like an NFT website, except it's for physical cards. So you buy a pack and then you click a button and it opens the pack for you, just like NFTs. But the images represent actual cards that Upper Deck has in their warehouse. And then it gets assigned into your ePack account. And at any time, or actually not at any time, I think it's 12 weeks after the product releases, uh, you can uh, a- a request a shipment of that card back to you at your home and then you have the physical card so i like that way more than these companies that have proper digital only nf nfts and james was scanning through epac last week and he came across a will zalatoris one of one i I almost shouldn't even talk about it because one of you listeners may just pop on epac and try and buy the the dang card but you know i'd love to have it i doubt the seller would let it go for my price range so I will share it. And it was the exquisite rookie autograph, the retro styling, which carries a lot of weight because it's consistent with other sports that we've talked about. Like that is the the LeBron James, the big LeBron James rookie card is an exquisite autograph card in a similar styling as this Will Zalatoris, one of one. Stephen Curry, one of his biggest rookie cards same exact in fact the steph curry is the exact same style of the card and so this is the one of one will zalatoris exquisite rookie autograph card and it's on epac if any of you high rollers are out there contact the seller pick it up and if you do tag me when you post it on social media because i would love to see it oh i i looked up the will zalatoris uh, pmg that sold and it was a metal shredders uh purple one of one pmg and it sold for 351 dollars So there you go. I guess on the topic of Will Zalatoris one of ones, there were actually a couple of one of one RPAs uh, on Superglow sold on eBay. And, you know, they were actually pretty expensive. The typical RPA is serial numbered out of 45. 
and the uh, one of one RPAs, I came across two versions. One of them, I believe, had like a, a shirt or something of that nature, and the second one had an actual cleat from his golf shoe embedded in the card. And of course, the sticker autograph. Uh, one of them recently sold in Octo on October 27th, 2023, for $214 Canadian. So I'm sorry, I don't know what that is in US. Maybe like $160, bucks, $175, something like that. A year ago, the one with the cleat sold for $910 US. So whoever bought that, holy, um, I, I hope you really like it. So to answer some of the questions that were thrown out at the beginning of this episode about this topic, let's get into it. What do we collect or what do we look for in cards and why do we collect them? Well, I think we look for things that look awesome. I think we look at things that make our jaw drop. If you're in this hobby, if you love collecting sports cards or any kind of trading cards, you know that when you look at a card, there are certain things that just make you feel something they give you the warm fuzzies they make you desire it they make you want to pull out hard-earned money out of your pocket and hand it over for a little piece of cardboard and so if these super glow cards are ones that you would make you have that feeling that would make you feel happy that would make you want to display it and show it off and feel um, connection to your past based on that athlete or that player or that subject of the card, then by all means, you know, that that's the card for you. What I look for is exactly that. I look for connection to my past. That's why I collect guys like Steve Nash or Tiger Woods or Matthew Wolf. I really look forward to getting into him in a future episode. I look for cards that I think look awesome. And although these super glow cards can look really cool, um, they don't totally blow me away. But more importantly, I look for connection to other people in the hobby. As the golf card collector, I get reached out to by a lot of people who are interested in golf. And I enjoy talking about it with them. I enjoy sharing stories. And Superglow just doesn't seem to be, to me, that brand that really fits that mold. Because if I were to start collecting these cards and showing them off to people... I don't. I think it would be met with resistance. I don't know if it's something I would be able to bond over with people. So it's just it isn't it isn't something that I'm interested in. But why would you collect a no name brand like Superglow? And how do those cards stack up to the golf cart hobby darling upper deck? I mean, if you don't care about what other people think, if you're okay spending dozens of dollars or a hundred dollars on a card that you love then these cards could be really cool for you. They don't stack up, in my opinion, against comparable cards from Upper Deck. The metal, metalized PMG, or Metal Shredder's PMG of Will Zalatoris is a better looking card, better quality, better place in card history, better in every way, in my opinion, than that one of one PMG is going to cost you the same as, or or more, as a one-of-one one Will Zalatoris rookie patch auto. And so if you like RPAs, go with Superglow. Or on the flip side, you can get a $6 to $25 one-of-one one Will Zalatoris from Superglow. And you could get, you know, the comparable might be a PMG out of 75 that's just got sort of a generic pink background from Upper Deck. Maybe you like that Super Glow card that has a one-of-one one stamp instead of out of 75. Or maybe you just think it looks cooler. So, you know, if you're going to be comparing apples to apples, Upper Deck blows them out of the water every day. But if you're going to compare bang for your buck, you could consider Super Glow. And lastly, we used our man, Will Zalatoris, as a test subject, as we talked about um, last week as well as today about super glow cards. And the other thing I need to mention as I explored extensively in episode 14 about Will Zalatoris is that he's had this roller coaster ride. He hit the scene, uh, you know, coming second place at the masters and coming second place in three of the four majors. 
and winning the FedEx St. Jude, which is a playoff event. So he was at an all-time high, one of the hottest prospects in golf, and then he gets injured. And he comes back and he shoots like 10 over par and comes dead last place in his first tournament back. So he's had these big ups and these big downs. So when we look at the different um, trajectories that these card prices have gone, that very well could follow some of that narrative. Let's get into card of the week spotlight. So this week we've got two cards to show off. The first is really just so that I've got a relevant thumbnail with a Will Zalatoris uh, Super Glow card. And honestly, I don't even know which parallel this is, and it's not mine. I just pulled the picture off of eBay. So we'll get into the second card of the week, which is not shown in the parallel, but it will be shown on my Instagram at Fondling Cardboard and at The Golf Card Collector. And that is a Patrick Cantley rookie autograph card and this is his retro version serial numbered 13 of 50 autographed and yeah i absolutely love this card this is from 2012 sp game used and uh, what i love about this card is it looks like their base cards it looks like the original base cards from back in 2001 um but obviously it's got like a modern player from 2012 um and who's still very active in the league one of the top 10 players in the world he patrick cantley is sitting in on the players advisory board who's really involved with the negotiations between pga and live um so i really look forward to getting into those details a bit more but back to the card yeah it's just got a green background with uh his name written sort of over top of a uh, like a scorecard kind of image and uh, this is actually quite a unique one because his background which is these wood slat fencing i don't know what course this is from but the wood slat fencing is green and it, it really kind of blends into the card design itself so patrick canley is you know taking his follow-through on his swing and he he really sticks out on the card so i yeah, I'm really happy to to have this one in the collection. So I picked this up really recently, and the way I got this was kind of interesting. I saw a post on Facebook in our Golf Cards and Memorabilia Facebook group, um, and a guy uh, had a post with a bunch of different cards in it. And there was a few Patrick Cantley autographs, and he had some good stuff. And he said he was looking for Bernhard Langer on-card autographs. And I found that pretty interesting because uh, Bernard Langer is, I mean, he's playing well on the seniors tour, on the, the champions tour, but uh, he, he's an older guy. He's, I think, early 60s. And um, and, and, and he's a German superstar, but his, his, his name's really not that uh, big right now on the PGA Tour. And I just so happened to have picked up a Bernhard Langer 2001 Players Inc. on card autograph, and then a pretty pretty nice card. And I got it for a great deal. I think I paid fifteen dollars on Com C, and I didn't have to pay shipping because it was within the Com C account. So I reached out to him and said, "Hey, I've got this one. Let me know if you're interested in a trade." And I told him I liked this Patrick Cantley, and he was open to a one for one trade. And I think. I mean, I, I, I know I got the better end of this bargain. I, I, I should have thrown in something more for him. Actually, he, he ended up throwing in something more for me, but I'll, I'll, I'll get to that. Um, but basically, he just said he was good with a heads-up trade. Um, I think the Cantley card probably sells for, I don't know, $30, $40, if I had to guess. So, um, Although, to be fair, Bernhard Langer players inc probably sells for that same price i just got a wicked deal so maybe i shouldn't feel bad in the end um but he sent me this this uh extra card it was a, a gachian boucher and it looks like a skier uh this is an upper deck the champions gachian boucher um autographed card and it's an on on card autograph and this was uh pulled out of a 2009 2010 upper deck hockey set and he sent me this card saying, you know, yo, you're Canadian. You, you know this guy. And I'm like, I don't know this guy from a hole in the wall. 
And he said, I'll just throw it in because, you know, the Canadian should go back home to Canada. And I, I thought that was awesome. You know, I think that's what the hobby's all about. Um, I'm happy that my, my German, Bernhard Langer, uh, got shipped back to Germany to be with a German collector. And I got this free skier <laughs> autograph card uh, who came back home to Canada, even though I don't know who the heck Gatchen Boucher is. Well, I've already jumped into Collector's Corner, I guess, with that Patrick Cantley story. Uh, so I'll just share one more story of my current goings-on in the hobby. So I have this habit of perusing eBay while I'm waiting for my son to fall asleep. And usually late at night, my eyes get a little dry, a little cross-eyed, a little tired, Honestly, sometimes I, I doze in and out. Um, and I just happened to be scrolling eBay. And I came across a card that really caught my eye. It's a 2008 Topps Chrome Superfractor of Sean Williams. Now, I don't, honestly don't even know who the heck Sean Williams is. But 2008 Topps Chrome is my favorite basketball set. And when I saw this at auction starting at $5, I thought... 2008 Topps Chrome is my favorite basketball set, and it would be so cool to own an, a, a Superfractor from that set. For those of you who don't know, a Superfractor is a one-of-one. One. Oh, I guess I already went into it with the Super Glow Talk. So I thought, these cards are super rare. They always end up with Super Collectors, and the Superfractor is just the best-looking basketball card from Topps Chrome. And I thought, if this is a card that I don't even know who the hell this basketball player is, maybe it'll just sell for a really low price. And maybe I'll be able to pick this up for a really low price and have it just to own an X-Fractor from the set that I love, regardless of who the player is. So I noticed that on the auction, there was no bids yet, and there was a best offer option. So I thought, I'm just going to throw this out. I'm going to throw an offer out for $26. And if, if the seller wants to get rid of a Superfractor for $26, my gain, and it'll just be a little piece to throw on the desk. And to my surprise, the seller accepted immediately and clicked uh, shipped immediately. Now, obviously, uh, sellers can't ship it like immediately, but they can print the shipping label from ebay and so the um the ebay listing is now marked as shipped and i say wow i am now the proud owner of a superfractor i go back i look at the listing and i realize <laughs> this is not a superfractor this is just a regular old x fractor serial numbered out of 288 and it just looks like a superfractor because the background of Sean Williams is kind of this gold color. And the way that the X-Fractor squares were kind of reflecting in the light, it, it, it looked like... It, I, looking at it now, it doesn't look like an X-Fractor. But I guess when I'm my eyes are crossed and glazed, I was scanning and I, I misread the listing. I just misread the entire listing. So... <laughs> This card is not even worth a dollar. It's worth 50 cents. And I just won it for $26 best offer plus $5.15 shipping plus $3 to process it through ship my cards. And this is all American dollars. So there's an extra 30% on top of that exchange rate to my Canadian dollars. And I, I was walking my dog when I realized this. And I just, I just yelled out an F-bomb. I mean, at the end of the day, spending $40 US on, on nothing is not the end of the world, right? We've all, we've all burnt $20 bills, $40, $40 before. But it's just the principle, man. I, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to consolidate. I'm, I'm selling cards. You know, I, I've definitely sold cards worth $30, $40, that I didn't really want to let go, but I'm doing it these days because I've got a bigger picture in mind for my collection. So to have a setback, like buying 
an absolute piece of trash for a ridiculous price is it was upsetting so I even I went into eBay and I was looking up their return policies, their order cancellation policies, and none of it really looked like it was going to work out for me. I just decided I'm going to throw a Hail Mary, reach out to the seller, and find out if he's willing to just give me a refund. And he was a great guy about it. I don't want this card, but I already made a commitment to buy it, and with eBay's new... Uh, system, it had already charged my card. So there was no way I could back out by my own choice. And the seller didn't give me what I wanted. I I didn't want the card. But he did say, yeah, you've overpaid like crazy. So he said, I'm going to give you a partial refund so that the grand total that you only spent is $10. So with the $3 ship my cards, I've now spent $13 on a 50 cent card. And that feels a lot better than, than 30 or $40. So anyways, there's some good people out there. I mean, I would have loved if he had just canceled the order, but uh, I get it. He got a sale and uh, he, he dropped the price to something a lot more reasonable. So thank you to the seller out there. And I hope you guys can learn from my lessons. Thanks again for tuning in. I'm going to skip the quote today, but Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, and I wish you all the best.